Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus. The Old Testament book of Exodus and Exodus and chapter number 6. Exodus and chapter number 6. We are continuing with what we started with this morning. We are in a series of the life and ministry of Moses. And this morning we went with Moses as he faced Pharaoh. And as he faced Pharaoh, Pharaoh replied with an answer, Who is the Lord? And why should I hearken to his voice? And remember that he is answering As Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and the king of Egypt is considered to be a god in himself. And Pharaoh, being the ruler of mighty Egypt, had before him a slave and a shepherd. Who were telling them that the god of the slaves is demanding the king of Egypt, the one who oversaw all of Egypt and its gods, to let God's people The slaves people go. And we understood that this morning that the Pharaoh, to him, it was ridiculous. Because to him, the Hebrew gods were no threat to him. And so he told them no. In fact, he made it so their burdens were harder. And remember, the idea was so that way they wouldn't stop. They would stop listening to vain speak, vain, uh, idle talk. They would stop saying these empty words and listening their heads about their God is real. And so the people, because they were hurt, yelled at Moses. And Moses, because he was still kind of on shaky ground in his own faith in the Lord, he cried to God. And so God has to prove himself real and speak to Moses and make Moses understand that his God is real. His God is powerful. His God is able. So then Moses can once again go before Pharaoh and this time with a confidence that his God was real speak to Pharaoh. But what we're seeing today is that God is pulling Moses aside and revealing himself to Moses. Explaining to Moses who the God of the Hebrews really is. So if you wouldn't mind, let's pick this up in the book of Exodus chapter number 6. The book of Exodus chapter number 6, and notice with me in verse 1. Exodus chapter 6 and verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Now shalt thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them go. And with a strong hand shall he drive them out of his land. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. And I have appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob. And by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah, was I not known to them. And I have also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. 
And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians kept in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Wherefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will rid you out of their bondage, and I will redeem you with a stretched out arm and with great judgments, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God, which bringeth you for out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Exodus in chapter number 6? The book of Exodus chapter 6, and notice with me in verse number 3, where God himself says in verse number 3, My name Jehovah. My name Jehovah. And with the Lord's help, as God is revealing himself to Moses and tells us some things about himself, we want to understand that God's phrase here, my name is Jehovah. My name is Jehovah. If you wouldn't mind, let's go to the Lord together. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And once again, as we've already said many times today, I thank you that you are a real God. You're not an imaginary God. This isn't just a fairy tale. This isn't a mythology. This is true. This is history. This is present day. You are God and there is none else. I'm asking that you would reveal yourself through your scripture. Illuminate our understanding through your scripture. That we may know whom you are. And what you said you would do for us. Because you are God. Help us to be able to nail down our understanding, our belief, and our confidence, our faith in you because of whom you are. And again, because we're speaking about you, I cannot have enough words. I do not have eloquent enough speech. I cannot communicate properly and tell people who you are. That is something your Holy Spirit must do. So I'm asking that as I surrender myself once again to be a spirit-filled speaker, I'm asking that you would help these folks the best they know how to surrender themselves right now, that they would be spirit-filled listeners so that way they could learn of you and whom you are. We love you, Lord. Thank you that we have confidence in this prayer. In your name we pray. Amen. We all understand the principle that it all begins with God. Everything begins with our vision of God. Who God is is paramount to everything else in life. That when we understand who God is, and when God is in His rightful place, everything else is in its rightful place. This is why the study of who God is, is so important. Because when we know who the God of the Bible is... It really simplifies and encourages us and helps us with everything else in life. And so here as Moses is having a boohoo pity party. He's gone up to God or for God stood up to Pharaoh and Pharaoh pretty much laughed at him. Then Pharaoh punished the people and the people yelled at Moses. Now Moses is going to God and said, I thought it was going to work and now things are worse and God, it, 
and he's upset. Have you ever been upset at God? Have you been upset at him sometimes because things didn't work out your way? Maybe you say, well, it's just not going to work. I don't know what I would try. Have you ever been there? I'm sure we all have from time to time. But you understand what fixes that when we realize who God is. This is paramount. Who is this God that we pray to? Who is this God that we say we worship? Who is this God that we claim to obey? Who is this God that we try to pronounce to people? Well, God wants to be known. You know, sometimes people have gods that are so mysterious and so mythological and so misty that they can never see their God. Their God isn't close to them. It's almost like you're looking for him and he goes around the corner and he's still not there. Our God wants to be known. And he wants us to know him. He wants us to have an intimate, personal, experiential knowledge of who he is. And so as he takes Moses aside, he's helping him because Moses is going to be his instrument. And he needs his instrument to be solid on his view of God. And so if you don't mind, I'd like to show us the things that God is telling Moses here with the preface of every point, my name is Jehovah. So because God is God, what is true? First thing I want to show you is my name is Jehovah, I am the Lord. My name is Jehovah, I am the Lord. Notice with me in verse number two. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. So here God is speaking to Moses and he reveals to Moses of who he is. And what we see here is just two of many of God's names. But we see the very basics of God's name. The very first name that we run into is God, G-O-D. This is the, the word Elohim. This here is the name of God which signifies his proper title. He is God. That this is who he is. He is God. He is the creator God. He is the powerful God. He is God. He is the Elohim. This is his proper title. Just like if you were to address the president of the United States. doesn't matter who the president is. It is proper to use his title. He is president so and so. That is his official title. That is his rank. That is his station. That is what he currently is. God is the proper title of God. He is God. That's his title. That's who he is. It is proper to address him as God. And here it signifies his power, his might, his majesty, his station. It's also interesting as you study this word Elohim, that it is what we would call a singular plural noun. A singular plural noun. You say, well, this is Sunday. We haven't even started school yet. Why are we throwing English lessons in here? Why are we throwing grammar lessons? Well, a singular plural noun is very important. What is a singular plural noun? Well, a singular plural noun is a word that we use in the singular case, but it represents more than one. For example, we would say that is a crowd. It is a singular crowd, but we would understand that that crowd would consist of more than one or two people. It's a group of people, but we would call that a singular plural noun. It is a noun that we use in the singular case that represents more than one. Well, the word Elohim, interesting enough, 
carries the idea of one title, but three things in that title. It is a singular plural noun that represents three people. Uh, even the, the word is set up this way. Hold your finger here and let me show you as God represents this. Notice with me in the book of he, uh, Genesis. So the book before, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, all the way at the very beginning. And remember in Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation of the world. And that each day God has created something new and unique. And in Genesis chapter 1, in verse number 26, God is preparing to make man. But before he makes man, he has this verse. Notice with me in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, so who is speaking? God. God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion. So notice this. God is speaking, and he says, let us. Well, this idea of us is plural. Meaning that there's more than one. Let us make man in our. Once again, that's a plural noun. A plural uh, represented here. There's more than one. Who was God speaking to? Well, he's not speaking to man because man doesn't exist yet. God said, let us make man in our image. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to himself. We know that there's God the Father. God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, who are coexistent with God, co-eternal with God. Jesus did not begin at Bethlehem. He was God beforehand, just robed in flesh. The Holy Spirit did not begin at Pentecost, but the Holy Spirit was there at God at the beginning. They are three aspects of the same being, but they're so different in aspect, they, they have their own distinct natures, but they're one. We see that all in this title here of Elohim, the official title of God. Let us. So God is speaking, but as he is speaking, he's speaking to himself. There's no one else there except for him himself. Just him, the Father, him, Jesus, and him, the Holy Spirit. The three in one. Now, God is saying this is important because he's going to address them that beforehand, this is what everybody knew me by. However... I want to show you something different. I want to show you who I am. In fact, let me just jump to that verse number three. And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. So again, we have this proper title, but we see this uh, definition of God Almighty. The Almighty God. It's interesting. I love to study the names of God. And when you put the Bible chronologically, you notice that you see the different times that they use God's name. There's different times that they place the emphasis. In the patriotic period, meaning in the book of Job, and we see in the life of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you would see the title of God quite often as God Almighty, the Almighty God, especially when you go through the book of Job. And then you could see a transition as you start going to Moses' time. That God reveals a different name to him. And he introduces his personal name, who we get to in a little bit later. Later on, you could see that as they have enemies all about them, God likes to refer to himself as the Lord of hosts, the God of all the armies of heaven. And by the way, if I'm the God 
of all the armies of heaven, no army of earth can bother you. And that was a comfort to people to understand that this was a title of God. Later on, as they begin to go with other cultures, as the Assyrian captivity hit, and the Babylonian captivity hit, and they were mixed with other gods, you would see the title of God, that the God of the heavens and earth. You would see that, for example, in the book of Jonah and others of the post-exilic books. And this was the title that I serve God. Which God? I serve the God who created all of this, the heaven and the earth. That's the God I serve. And that was the way that you would distinguish which God you were speaking about in a polytheistic society. And of course, later on in the New Testament, we see God revealed himself as Jesus and that the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus in the New Testament. And then he was referred to Jesus. And it is proper for us to use the name Jesus. But it's just uh, neither here nor there. But it's interesting to see these titles as history changed and which group of uh, history that God's name is used more often than the other ones. Beforehand, it was known as God Almighty. But now God says, I want to give you something special. I want to let you know what my personal name is. So instead of just using president, you are now close to me. I want you to be so close to me that I want you to use my personal name. Let me tell you what my personal name is. Notice if you don't mind as we're back in Exodus chapter 6. Notice with me in verse 2. And God spake unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord. Notice the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Notice in verse 3. And I appeared unto Abraham and unto Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty. But by my name Jehovah was I not known to them? So God is saying, let me tell you what my personal name is. You could refer to me as Jehovah, Yahweh. You could refer to me as this. I am the personal God, and I want you to know my personal name. Now, this is a powerful name. You could recognize it throughout the Old Testament. Whenever you see the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, whenever you see that, this is referring to God's personal name. And it is a powerful name to have that personal knowledge, that intimate knowledge of who God is. Now, we know that this name does carry power, this personal name of God, not just the official title. So much so that a lot of the ancient Hebrew people, that when they would come to reading the Bible, instead of saying Jehovah or Yahweh, they would see the vowel points of Adonai which means master, and then you would see the, or the vowel points of Elohim. And what they would do is that they would be a reminder that they would skip the personal name of God and insert an official title of God. And the reason why is they did not want to overuse God's personal name because there was something special about that name. You understand that when you know someone's personal name, there comes with it an intimacy. There comes with it a personal knowledge. For example, as far as I know, none of you are good friends with the president. Now, you may know some things about him, but you probably have not eaten supper with him or dinner with him. More than likely, you haven't met, uh, done that with a former president either. So I, I'm just, you know, you could surprise me. So if you were to meet the president of the United States, you would not immediately address him by his first name. In order to show proper respect, you would use his title, president. That's a respectful thing to do. You only are given that 
that permission to use his personal name in an official setting by his permission and with a formal intimate knowledge. For God, his official title to all of the world is God. He is God. But God wants us to be intimate and personal with him. So he says, I want you to get so close that you know me by my personal name. Jehovah. This is how I want you to be known to me. Now, again, I tell you that the study of the names of God is interesting. Let me give you an instance where this is a powerful determination. We know that Solomon is the king of Israel. And he is David's son. And he starts off right. I mean, God appeared to him two different times and spoke with him. But somewhere along the way, his heart drifted and he got far away from God. And then what happened as he went far away from God, he reviewed his life and he looked at it. And he says, you know what? I have got wealth. I've got knowledge. I've got wisdom. I've got anything you want. I have pleasures. I've experienced everything. But when I look back at my life and I can see with when I live my life without regard to God, it is empty. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. The word vanity means empty. And then you see the phrase throughout the book of Ecclesiastes under the sun, which carries the idea of without regard to God. So when I live my life without regard to God, it's empty. It's empty. My life is empty. Well, one of the interesting things that you find in the book of Ecclesiastes is that the only title that Solomon uses for God is Elohim. He never uses God's personal name. Why is that? Because Solomon is currently so far from God. He doesn't have that intimate knowledge of God anymore. And all he could do is refer to God by his proper title. We're just seeing Solomon in such a disrepair, such a distance from God. Is that he no longer has that personal relationship. But that's not where God wants us to be. God wants us to have such an intimate personal knowledge of God. That we have no problems using his personal name. Because of that personal relationship we can have with him. And so here Moses is having a pity party. Pharaoh has told him no. The people are now rebelling against him already. And he's throwing a fit and saying, God, why did you even send me out here? Why is it even worth it? What? He's throwing a big party. And God pulls him aside and says, let me tell you some things. I'm a personal God. And beforehand, people just referred to me as my title God. Let me tell you, I want something different with you, Moses, and the rest of the people. I want you to know me by my personal name. And because you know me personally, and because you know me intimately, you could go face your pharaohs, because you know who I am. We have a God who wants us to have a personal, intimate knowledge of who he is. Now, as God reveals himself to Moses, he starts off by saying, my name is Jehovah But now we're going to see in the rest of this, because my name is Jehovah, because of the personal knowledge I want you to have with me, this is what I'm going to do. The next thing I show you is not only is my name Jehovah, I am the Lord, but my name is Jehovah, see what I will do. My name is Jehovah, see what I will do. And what you'll notice in each of these other verses, 
you'll see a declarative statement of what God will do, an action verb, and the idea that God says, I, the personal pronoun of God, I, which is the idea of Jehovah, I, God, I, Jehovah, will do this. What we see, first of all, in this is that my name is Jehovah, see what I will do. Notice with me in verse 1. Then the Lord, notice in that's all capital letters, this is the personal name of God. Then the Lord said unto Moses, now shall thou see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand shall he let them Go And with a strong hand shall he, Pharaoh, drive them out, the people, out of his land. God says, let me show you what I am going to do. Because I'm Jehovah, because I am God, because I'm powerful, and because I want you to know me personally, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to perform some miracles. And I'm going to do with a mighty hand... I'm going to do such a miracle that just a minute ago you went and talked to Pharaoh. And you went to Pharaoh and said, the Lord of the Hebrews said, let my people go. And he says, why should I obey you? I don't know your God. I don't know who you're talking about. Why should I let him go? And he chased you off. But Moses, let me tell you what I'm going to do to that Pharaoh. Is I'm going to do something so amazing that that Pharaoh who told you no is going to beg you to get out of his land. He's going to tell you, get off my property, get out of here. And he is going to do some things. He's going to drive you out of the land. He's not going to allow you to stay even if you want it to stay. Isn't that a total change of mind? The Pharaoh said, I don't know who your God is. Why should I listen to you? And God says, when I'm done with him, he's going to say, please leave. Get out of here. Everyone get out of here. Only God could do that. I, my name is Jehovah, see what I will do. When we know God and we have a personal relationship with God, we also have a God who wants to do amazing things for us. The Bible talks about, when Jesus is explaining prayer, that we have a father who wants to give good gifts unto his children. We're his children, and we have a personal knowledge with God. It's not like we're a stranger saying, hey, uh, I'm your I live a couple houses down. Can you give me some food? I mean, sure, but there's something about an intimate knowledge. If one of my kids came up to me and said, Daddy, it's been a while since I've eaten. Can we get something to eat? If it's within my ability, there's nothing wrong and sinful. I want to give them good gifts. In fact, one of my children have figured this out. That if it's within my ability and whatever else. Daddy, can I have this? It's pink. Sure, I'll be glad to do this if it's within my ability. I'm waiting for the other two to figure that out too. Then I'll be in big trouble. But there's something about a father who wants to give good gifts to your children. If it's something within the means and it's something not extravagant, if it's not something with, you know, beyond the stretch of imagination, I would love to give a good gift to my children if I know what they want. Our God is able to do miracles. Our God is able to do things. All we have to do is say, Daddy, Daddy, you think about this, that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. Why wouldn't he give us $4.59 if we needed it? 
Right? God is able. And he wants to do things. And he wants to do things bigger than $4.58. He wants to do some miracles in our life. And he wants to do things. And it's because of our personal knowledge of who he is. He could do that for us. He could do miracles in our life. My name is Jehovah. See what I will do. Something else that we see because of who God is. My name is Jehovah. I have established my covenant. My name is Jehovah. I have established my covenant. Notice with me in verse 4. And I, that's God, Jehovah, have established my covenant with them. To give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage, wherein they were strangers. Now, he's speaking about, in verse 3, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And remember that he had spoken to Abraham and said, I'm giving you all the land, no matter where you could see. I'm giving you this land. Abraham, I'm also going to give you children, that they're going to be more than the sand of the sea. When Isaac became of age... God said, guess what? I promised Abraham something, and I'm giving you that same promise. I'm going to do these things. And he repeated the promise. Later on, when Jacob was running from everything else and had to run to the Lord, God said, guess what, Jacob? I promised Abraham. I promised Isaac. I'm giving you the same promise, and these things are going to carry through. The word covenant is the idea of a, of a promise, an agreement. And God says, I made a promise. I made an agreement, and I'm going to keep my word. And we understand that God is the God who's able to keep his promises. My name is Jehovah. I'm able to keep my promises. I'm the God who is able to keep my word. That's the God that we serve. You could take his word to the bank. The Bible says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. What does that mean? He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You could take him at his word. When Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice and they know me, then he goes on and says that everyone that God has given me, I have kept in my hand. Much more, everyone that's in my hand, no one can be plucked out. What does he mean there? No one can get plucked out. He says, he that hath the Son hath life. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Well, if you have the Son, guess what you have? You have life. Those are promises that he has given to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Those are promises. And because of who God is, he will keep his word. Now those are words on salvation and uh, words on eternal life. But you understand there's a lot more promises in the Bible. And God will keep his word. He's the God who answers prayer. He says that in the Bible. So it will is he a God who will keep his word? Yes. He's a God who keeps his word. We have a God who keeps his promise. And because of our intimate knowledge of God, we can have that assurance of who he is. I could stand before Pharaoh because I understand God will keep his word. God will keep his promises. I could face a world that's antagonistic towards the Lord. Because I know God will keep his promises. I can trust God. Now remember all of this is made to have a personal talk with Moses. To get him back to seeing God and who he is. And 
realize that Pharaoh's really small next to a big God. And if I got that big God behind me, Pharaoh is not a problem whatsoever. And so he's saying, you need to know who I am personally, Moses. Then you have no problems facing Pharaoh. And by the way, he doesn't have any problems facing Pharaoh. He has some problems with the own people for time to time after this. Pharaoh's not a problem anymore because God is bigger than his Pharaoh because Moses learns who God is. So we understand we start off with, my name is Jehovah, I am the Lord. My name is Jehovah, see what I will do. My name is Jehovah, I have established my covenant. Something else that we see here, my name is Jehovah, I have heard. My name is Jehovah, I have heard. Notice with me in verse 5. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel, whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Here it says, I have heard the groaning. I have heard the prayers. I've heard the cries. I've heard the sighs. I have heard their prayers. I'm so glad that I have a God who hears all my prayers. A God who loves me. A God who wants to do things for me. A God who cares for me. And a God who hears me. Even when I'm crying. I'm glad that God can understand sobs. Many of you may have had that experience where you're trying to pray to God and the words just don't come out and you just cry. God knows what those are. He could translate sobs. He speaks cry. God hears our prayers he hears our groanings our god hears everything that we cry out to him with and he cares and he has a plan and he's doing something about it he's not leaving us alone he's not ignoring us i understand that some people don't like to hear our complaining cries anymore but god listens aren't you glad that god doesn't just Put the phone down and walk away and then come back and see if we're still having a fit. God hears our cries. God has heard our prayers. Because he is a personal God who wants to have a personal relationship with us. And he wants us to know who he is personally. And he hears. Something else that we see about God. My name is Jehovah. I will redeem you. My name is Jehovah. I will redeem you. Notice with verse 6. Wherefore say unto the children of Israel. I am the Lord. And I will bring you from out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will rid you out of their bondage. And I will redeem you. With a stretched out arm. And with great judgments. I am God. I am Jehovah. And I will redeem you. This is the God who is able to save. And deliver us. From our situations. Our circumstances. The places that we find ourselves in. God is able to save the Hebrews. From the burden they're in. He's able to deliver them. From the situation they find themselves in. Our God is able to deliver me from the penalty of sin that I owe to Him. He is able to redeem me, to buy me back, to purchase my price by His 
strong arms, by his stretched out arms, with great judgments. Even when you look at the cross of Calvary, it was judgment for the wages of sin is death. And with great judgments, Jesus Christ was judged for our sin. He paid our price. But with God's stretched out mighty arm, Jesus died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. On the third day, he rose again forevermore. And now all I have to do is personally trust God in his promises. And he promised to deliver me, to redeem me. But he's also able to save me in situations I find myself in. Now, we're not talking about taking away consequences. But there are many times that you and I have found ourselves in a mess. And oftentimes it's a mess of our own design, meaning we caused it. We opened our mouth. We aggravated the wrong person. We spoke ill at the wrong time. It happens. Sometimes we find ourselves in a situation not of our own design, but the consequences of someone else's action. But we have a God who is able to work, who is able to deliver, who is able to do above and beyond. Our God is able. What a great God that we have, that we could trust him, that we could depend upon him. God is able to redeem. And if not, he's still able to work. One of, I love history. I love studying history. And we used to have more of a biblically literate society. Meaning we had a society that knew more about the Bible. And it was a commonplace. People would use uh, biblical language all the time. In the Battle of Derkunk, which was in World War II, as Hitler uh, did the Schleicher movement and uh, had went in a blitzstreak across Europe, that he caught the uh, Europeans in... Um, unawares and they were kind of stuck and what happened is that the french and the british troops were kind of backed into the sea into a little port town called Derkunk. now there was some missteps on the german uh line where they had the uh, goring who was in charge of the air force he wanted to wipe out the troops but it happened to be that there was a fog protecting them and they were able to only get a small message back to the British Isles to say that they need help. And the only phrase they could get across, but if not. That was it. But if not. But because the British people were so biblically literate, they understood where it came from. It came from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they stood before Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar had told them that every time you hear the music, you're supposed to bow down and pray to my idol. And they did not. So Nebuchadnezzar brought him before me and said, listen here, I'll give you another chance. We'll play the music now. You bow your uh, knees, no problem. And they said, oh, Nebuchadnezzar. They said... We're not going to. Our God is able to deliver us. But if not. We still will not bow. And those three words. Was the only thing that those British troops. Were able to get across the English channel. During that time. But if not. But people were so biblically literate. They understood what they were referring to. That hey we're in a pinch. We need rescue now. We need deliver now. But if not we're still not going to surrender. What we have for ourselves is we have a God who is able to deliver. And he knows what situation we find ourselves. 
And if he doesn't deliver the way that we think to, we can still trust him and we don't have to give in. Because our God is able to redeem. He is able to work. And he's even able to work the circumstances we find on ourselves into for his glory and for his good. Because of God. My name is Jehovah. I will redeem you. There's one more thing that we find about God because of our personal intimate knowledge of who God is. What God is trying to tell Moses here, I want you to know me personally. I want you to know me intimately. And because of that personal knowledge of me, here are some things I want you to know to help you. That first of all, my name is Jehovah. I am the Lord. My name is Jehovah. See what I will do. My name is Jehovah. I have established my covenant. My name is Jehovah. I have heard. My name is Jehovah. I will redeem you. My name is Jehovah. I will take you to me. My name is Jehovah. I will take you to me. Notice with me in verse 7. And I will take you to me for a people. And I will be to you a God. And ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. Which bringeth you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This first phrase here, and I will take you to me for a people, and I will be to you a God, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. What we see here is God's great desire for us to have a personal relationship with Him. God wants us to know Him personally. He wants us to go without a doubt and say, That's my God. That's my God. My God! Hey, everybody, that's my God! He wants us to have that personal, intimate relationship with Him. He wants us to be His people. A personal pronoun there. He wants it so that way God can look down and say, that's my people. And they point up, that's my God. He wants us to have a personal Intimate relationship. He doesn't want to be the God that's so afar off. That he has no interference. No interaction in our lives. He wants to be the God who is so personal to us. And so intimate. That we could easily say that's my Jesus. That's my Savior. Not that hey that's a Savior over there. He's able to do it. This is my Savior. And God says that's my people. God wants to be the God that we rely on. The God that we need. God wants us to have that personal relationship. So that bears the question as we talk about this personal name of God. And that God wants to reveal himself. And as he reveals himself we learn more about him. So we can face the things that we face on a daily basis. And that we can go with confidence and by faith that my God will deliver me. My God hears me. My God loves me. My God will take care of me. I can trust my God. How do I know that? Because I personally know him. I know him intimately. I know him experientially. I know who he is. Since that's what God desires, may I ask you, how close are you to your God? May I also remind you, you are always as close to God as you want to be. Meaning that if you are far away from God right now, that's because that's where you want to be. You can know 
Him intimately. In fact, you should never be satisfied with what knowledge you have of God. You should have the same prayer as the two greatest believers in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Moses in the Old Testament and Exodus 33 had this prayer. Paul in the height of his ministry had this prayer. That I may know him. You can never out know God. You can never know everything about God. But you can know some things about God. You can know some things about who he is. And it can make an impact on your daily life. So again, how close are you to God? How close you are currently is because you want to be. You could always be much closer. And God will let you if you want that. But you have to want it. He will not force himself upon you. He says here with open arms, I'm here if you want me. Come to me. Come to me. I want to be your God. I want to know you personally. And I want you to know me personally. Come unto me. And when you have that personal, intimate knowledge of God, you have so many other benefits in your life. That you have no problems facing those obstacles, those circumstances, those situations that you may find in your path. How close are you to your God? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.